Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Come on and check-in with me. Come on and check-in with me. Mental health check-in with Lee. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mental Health Check-In with Talik. Today, I have a special guest, Scott Yeager. I'm saying that right, right? Yeager, yep. That's yes, it. Scott Yeager. Yes, man. Thank you for being a guest. Scott is the owner. What? Well, I want to say owner. Are you the founder of Challenge Mania? Yeah, co-owner, co-founder. Sure, yeah. Yes. You know, I would love to see him on the Challenge One Day. I don't know if you have do it but you know love to see him on there he hosts all the challenge manias events across the world yes man thank you for coming on thank you for having me yeah the events are kind of my my challenge Derek gets to go and actually do the the tv show the challenge so to him like you know the live shows are cool but they're not like you know going and doing a pole wrestle where for me I don't do that. So for me, my pole wrestle is, you know, the mic stand on the stage at a uh, comedy club in Chicago or wherever we're at. So, yes, yes. Um, So let's get into it, man. My first question, I like to ask everybody this question when they first come on. How is your mental health? Ah, man, it varies from minute to minute, to hour to hour, day to day. I would say overall, uh, I would say overall pretty good. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's all relative, right? So, you know, you, you, you always like to look at what you have and uh, what could be worse and things like that. So I, you know, I like to think that in comparison to, uh, Comparison to a lot of people, I got a lot of good stuff going on. I've got a great life. I've got a great family, great kids, great wife, things like that. So not too much to complain about, but that's not how mental health works. So uh, sadly, you know, like, like a lot of us do, you know, I got tough days, tough hours, tough minutes, tough weeks, tough months. So it comes and goes. I'm feeling pretty good today though. That's good, man. I like to ask that question because like, I feel like, and I say this all the time, every time on each episode that when I ask that question, I feel like as people, we need to ask that question to people more because you could say, yeah, hey, Lee, you know, how you doing? I could, I'm doing good, but mentally I could be struggling. So I feel like when we ask, how's your mental health, you know, it opens up the door for conversation, especially men. And my, what goes into my next question, you know, is a stigma surrounding mental health, right? But it's also a stigma surrounding men's mental health. What do you say to that stigma that says men can't cry? We can't be weak, show no emotion. We have to man up and just get over it. Like, what do you say about that stigma? You know, I, I would say that it's definitely something that's evolved over the years. I think it's less commonplace today than it was, you know, 50 years ago or even 10, 20 years ago. It's getting a lot more acceptable to, uh, to you know, be open about your emotional state or your mental health and things like that. I think people are are obviously not getting away with shunning people or talking down to them about their mental health or their mental state as much as you you would have in the the past. And um, I mean, look, there's obviously still things built into our vernacular that like you don't even realize are subconsciously like telling you that like men are supposed to be like physically and mentally stronger than I don't know who boys or women or whatever it is. Either way, it's obviously false and untrue. But like, you know, just things that you say, you don't even know what you're saying. You say, oh, we'll put your big big boy pants on or you know he had the you know you make a big decision you say i had the balls to do that right and and, and these are things that obviously women don't love these things because it, it makes it feel like they're less than or that they have less balls or less chutzpah or that you know there's no such thing as big girl pants and things like that and it's obviously just the way we talk but those little subconscious things 
you know, that also leads to people maybe feeling like they can't be as open about maybe, hey, this isn't the best day for me to be in charge of this, or hey, this isn't the best day for me to be giving someone else advice, or hey, I just really can't handle what's being asked of me today. Could somebody else take over, whether that be another man or boy or, or girl or woman or whoever it is. Um, so there are probably a lot of guys out there that feel like they can't be as outspoken about, you know, going through a, a rough patch or, or even, you know, giving yeah. things more thought or being more mentally affected by things than, than uh, you know, but by the same token, I think, you know, there's probably women who feel similar that they're, it's almost expected of them to be more emotional or, or, you know, more outspoken about their mental health. So then maybe they retain a lot more of it because they don't want to be, you know, cliche. And so it, it, the door swings both ways. It's, it's, it's tough either way, either way. I don't think any type of person, gender, sex, race, anything yeah. stereotyped as this person is more likely to be happy, sad, angry, dealing with mental health issues, not dealing with mental health issues, strong, this, that, the other thing, you know, I think life experiences as well. People assume like, oh, this person, you know, works out a lot. So they're physically yeah. strong. So they most must be mentally strong as well. Or this person was in the military, so they must be tough or they must not like, you know, sappy movies and, you know, all those kind of stereotypes, I think just kind of make people feel like they have to get put in a box or kind of go with whatever, you know, presumptions people have about them or people who are yeah. in similar shoes as them. But as time goes, I think we're course correcting and we're kind of becoming ultimately more open to hearing that every person who walks in the door is as likely to be feeling a certain way as the last person who walked out the door. So um, it's getting better every day for sure. Yeah. That was a great answer. No, that was, <laughs> that was a great answer. Um, my next question for you is, do you have a circle of friends that, keep you um, grounded you know like if you're struggling mentally do you have that core friends that you could just go to like hey I'm struggling you know and you could talk it out you know not judge you but talk it out you know I'll admit I you know I wish that I that I did um as far as it being a circle of friends that are all friends with each other and we're like a group you know I'll admit that I I don't really have that and like you know um it's not necessarily as common, I think when you're, you know, I'm 37 years old, I'm married, I live with my wife and kids. And as, as life evolves, I know there are, uh, there are a lot of people that still kind of have a core group of friends, whether it be from home or college or work or whatever. Um, what happened to me over the course of my life is um, it's kind of fizzled out with some people, some people stick around for the long haul, but it's more on an individual basis, yeah. you know? So it's like, I'll pick up, you know, I'll ha I have friends that I've been friends with since we were 11 years old, um, but it's not necessarily like we're, we're one big group anymore. Uh, and then among those people that I'm still friends, with yeah there's a couple people that i might talk yeah. to about a specific issue you know this person i might talk to about family stuff this person i might talk to about something i'm going on with work and then along the way you pick up people friends from work you know friends you know i've made a lot of friends particularly in the last five years doing the challenge mania thing yeah. um just by nature of the fact that they understand what i'm going through and, and, and what i'm working with more than any of my friends i've had friends for 30 years but you know if they don't watch the challenge or kind of understand what i'm doing it would take me three hours to explain to them what the issue I'm dealing with this weekend was, but I have a kind of, you know, I do have people that I've met just in the last five years that I speak to on the phone more than I speak to my family members or my best friends yeah. from home because they're just in it with me, right? They get it. And that shorthand yeah. is there. Um, so look, I will say as far as like a circle of friends, no, I don't, I don't really have that anymore. I haven't really had that. I'd say the last time I've had kind of like a core group or circle of friends was kind of college or shortly after college and things like that, yeah. living with a group of guys. But like now it's like it's a wide circle, but it's filled with lots of individuals, I would say, is, is kind of how I describe it now. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, not like circle of friends. I could have added like family members or just anybody. You know, probably your wife or something like that. But you know, um, and everybody that's listening, just remember, not everybody is going to understand your mental health struggles. If you struggle with mental health, any depression, anxiety, wherever it is, suicidal thoughts, not everybody's going to get it. You know, sometimes you can teach somebody, but just remember, you know, have grace on your have grace on yourself and other people because not everybody will get it. You know, just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, my next question before we get to the next question I always do this um, anybody that's out there struggling when you go to suicide or deep dark depression or negative thoughts you know there is a prevention suicide prevention lifeline the number is 988 all you have to dial is 988 if you are struggling you know someone that is struggling so my next question for you is um, have you ever dealt with any thoughts of suicide or have you if not have you lost someone to suicide um, I've never dealt with any like serious thoughts of suicide. No, yeah. you know, not to the point where I've ever, you know, seriously considered doing it or anything like that, or looked into how you would or could do it and things. Um, you know, it more, more so just mentally in the, in the back of your mind, you know, you, you might be, you know, you might have a, at least for me, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the lowest you can go as far as like, you know, for me is, you know, not, not wanting to you know, think about tomorrow, not to say I'm not, I'm going to make sure I'm not here, but I'm going to be here, but I don't even need to think about what's going on tomorrow. Right now. I can't even really think about what's going on today. Um, And as far as me having dealt with anyone, you know, um, look, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate uh, and, and I'm uh, I, hopefully I don't you know get off this podcast and feel like, oh my God, I forgot about you know this person or that person. But yeah. no one uh, extremely close to me, I believe, uh, has ever taken their own life. I've been, you know, had coworkers along the way. I've, I've obviously, like I think we all have, um, yeah. and I think that this is something that on the surface probably sounds like it shouldn't matter as much. But when you're someone like me who is fortunate in that I haven't really lost too many family members or good friends or colleagues and things like that. When someone like a musician or an actor or someone like that, that I'm a fan of from afar and I follow their life from afar. And what the added thing that that has is these are people that are rich. They're famous. They look like they're having a great time. They look like they have everything going on. And then one day you wake up, you open the paper and you see that they took their own life. Um, And these are people like, you know, Anthony Bourdain, who I used to watch, travel the country, tasting food, meeting with people. And he's not only an inspiration, but also just like someone that you watched literally live his life, you know, to the fullest every day. So when he, you know, takes his life in his sixties, it hits you hard. Right. And it lets you know that, Hey, you really don't know, you know, Robin Williams, obviously you had an extenuating circumstance and something he was going through physically at the time, but this is somebody who people associate, you know, just with unbridled laughter and entertainment and joy. And all of a sudden one day you wake up and he takes his own life and, you know, musicians, obviously, from Kurt Cobain to recently uh, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington um, and things like that. And so so for me, those are the ones that obviously stand out to me because, again, I come from a place of privilege where I haven't lost anyone extremely close to me. And these are people that, although I don't know them personally, I very much appreciate their work and their and their worth. And 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 in a weird way, it almost sneaks up on you just as much, if not more, to see someone who has. I mean, you would almost trade lives with them, obviously, without taking families into account, things like that. 
as far as life and circumstance and wealth and this and yeah. that, and you'd be like, I would trade lives with this person in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> and here they are, right? The, obviously the opposite, you know, not to say that they would necessarily trade lives with you, but that they don't even, they're not even, you know, able to, to, uh, to want to continue their life. So, so that's as far as it goes for me, um, knock wood, obviously. And, you know, I know that a lot of people, I've had a lot of people where it's, you know, one person removed someone close to me, someone who's close to them kind of thing, yeah. but, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I am a suicide attempt survivor. Um, you know, everybody that comes on my podcast knows my story. You know, I was sexually abused as a child. You know, didn't start dealing with the trauma till I got into like 26 or like older. I um, lost my mom in 2019. And then my sister nine months later. So, you know, I've dealt with like with a lot of suicidal thoughts. You know, currently, recently, just like I was just dealing with some suicidal thoughts and tried to do some stuff, you know, just recently and stuff like that, you know. But I come on here to try to, you know, have a voice to talk, have these conversations on mental health and stuff like that. You know, guys, if you out there struggling, please, please, please talk to someone. You know, sometimes it's not, I mean, not sometimes, every time that you're struggling and you're keeping it to yourself is not a good thing, you know. Your um, mind can be like a dangerous place to sit in, you know. Um, I know that by offhand, I volunteer and do like stuff with NAMI, Gus County. NAMI is everywhere. Um, I facilitate like support groups and stuff like that. You know, if you get into therapy, can't find no therapist because I know right now it's hard to find therapy and psychiatrists, but just get into a support group. There are resources online. Make sure you're talking to somebody. You know, um, my friend Becca, I say this all the time. She always says it's better to have a mad friend than a dead friend. So, anybody mm-hmm. out there struggling, listening, please dial 988 to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Yes. Um, my next question for you is not mental health related, but I want to ask you what made you start Challenge Mania podcast? What made you start that? You know, it, I, uh, Derek and I had both about 10 years ago, uh, when we had been first introduced this is a long time ago, but probably about 12 years yeah. ago, we had both been kind of dabbling in podcasting very early on, but kind of then, you know, put it on the back burner. We collaborated on a couple of things and, you know, had each other's info. Uh, and it just worked out where in 2017 and, and I, and I had not, you know, ever worked professionally in podcasting. It was kind of a hobby. Um, and Derek obviously had been on the challenge for the majority yeah. of his life. He, uh, went seven years without doing the challenge. And then they brought him back for a show called the dirty 30 in 2017. Uh, And he kind of, I think on the heels of that wanted to, you know, start a podcast about it. I was probably the only person at that time who was still in his phone that he knew, knew what a podcast was or or might know how to do one. So he hit me up and I had just coincidentally uh, left the company I was at. I was working at a production company. I'd been there for like four years. I had just lost my job and I was about to take a few months off to get married. So I thought, you know what, why not do this little silly challenge podcast for a few months? And uh, I assumed it would be literally a a pet project that lasted a few months and I'd be on to getting a new job in a few months. And here we are five years later and we're still doing it. So that's, that's kind of where it, uh, where it came from. And I had always watched the challenge growing up and was familiar with it. Um, but it was never something I was like dying to do a challenge podcast, you know? Um, so it kind of fell into my lap and our lap collectively. And the, I think that kind of balance just, just worked out well and kind of struck while the iron was hot and stuck with it and kept the irons in the fire. And here we are. That's crazy. Um, I cut, not like similar story, but you know, like my podcast, I, it started with Instagram lives. It was called mm-hmm. mental health check-in Mental health check-in with Tali Instagram live. I was doing Instagram lives. And I remember, um, you know, doing some of my friends and stuff like that. I did my first one where uh, somebody that's a Hall of Road tried a basketball player, Saul Flip. Um, I did one with him. And then I was like, let me just try. I did with two of my friends, one that's in Canada and 
a friend that I personally know, then I did one with Paulie and Marlon, right? <laughs> that was a funny one because I didn't know like they had like online beef and stuff like that. I just put it together. I was just like, I can get somebody from, you know, the challenge and stuff like that. And I haven't really watched the challenge. I probably last time I watched it, Paulie was on there, but I have, never really wasn't watching. I had stopped watching it. So um, my friend Paige, probably no Paige, <laughs> my friend Dylan, yeah. and somebody else was like promoting i'm like i'm just trying to do a mental health show i don't need nobody promoted but it was promoting and stuff like that you know and open the doors for me to talk to other challenger because i'm always like you know like intrigued like you know how is your mental health doing reality because i know i would be crazy if i did some reality tv saw some stuff that somebody said that i didn't like or just like cameras in my face all the time like i'm like how is these guys mental health not even just challenges like um survivor you know um love island just all these reality shows how can people <laughs> You know, do that. Like, I just, like I just asked the recent winner, um, a big brother, twenty four Taylor, I had on my podcast. I was like, "How do y'all do it from cameras in your face?" Like, I couldn't do it. You know, um, like I recently just started watching Survivor, and I know I can't go in there. I'm just like, hell no, like nah. Yeah, the experiences themselves of going on the show is obviously very taxing. Um, yeah. But to begin with, they're they're casting people who may or may not be more prone to you know whether they consider themselves someone who struggles with mental health issues they like yeah. to cast people who are very in tune with their emotions because they want to be able to put you in front of a camera and say how are you feeling right now uh go back to yesterday how are you feeling during this elimination and the average person can't really do that so right yeah. off the bat they're grabbing people who are more apt to be in tune with how they're feeling when they're going through stuff and then they let them back out into the world. And just by nature of having been on television, you have millions of people on the internet who think it's okay to say whatever they want to them or about them. And it's all cool because they're on TV, they're successful, right? So you have some of the nastiest things being said about you or to you directly. And then yeah. you have to wait and and you have to respond in a way, knowing that all these people are are looking at you yeah. and, and evaluating how you're responding and it might affect your next job or this or that. Whereas like, so all of that pressure you know, makes it, you know, a minefield of mental health issues, you know, reality TV, regardless of how successful you are on or off the show, you know, so it's a lot. And I'm sure, you know, if you've talked to a lot of people from various reality shows, you know, that it's like something that you wouldn't even, I I say, you know, there's actually a, a a cast member who was on several seasons of the challenge, her name, Sarah Rice. And uh, she's a uh, psychologist and, or psychiatrist, I forget which one. And either way, I think it's she, she, I think she specializes in, or at least considers herself a specialist in people who have, you know, are coming off of reality TV and yeah. need to talk to somebody. She's been very vocal about wanting the shows to implement that and almost force it on people as yeah. sort of their, their post filming experience. Like, Hey, you should talk to somebody. We're building it in. They have yet to do that. Um, but I think what's interesting is that I find it very, you know, not worthless, but I find that it would be almost a a thankless task to have them talk to someone who hasn't gone through the experience. So I think someone like Sarah would be such a valuable person for them to talk to, because I find when I like talk to my therapist, I spend the whole session just explaining like what social media is like. Cause he, I mean, like, you know, 80 year old Jewish guy, he doesn't even know what Twitter is. I have to explain to him what Reddit is and this and that, you know, I'm talking about podcasts and not, not to say that like, you know, I can't do that, but it takes a lot of time to like put it into context. And now finally we're here and I'll be like, so now I'm about to tell you what the person said and why I'm, I'm upset. And he'll, that's our time. Our time's up. Can we get to that next week? And it's like, it would be nice if these folks had just a shorthand and they could talk to somebody who knows 
what all this experience is like. And it truly is unlike anything anyone's ever experienced in real life. Like you would have no idea. It's like a cross between being a prisoner and being a model and being, uh, you know, and being, it's, it's like all this stuff at once. It's like, where else yeah. do you go where you're being filmed, but they also take your phone. It's like, it's such a weird yeah. thing and not being able to talk to friends and family and home and having to keep everything secret, but also being asked a ton of questions every yeah. other day. So uh, I'd imagine you'll have a long list of people who want to come on your podcast and talk to you about it because um, it's not something they're asked enough about true. Truthfully, they're kind of just, they're, yeah. they're they're left to for everyone to just assume they're they're crushing life and and uh and have no issues whatsoever. So yeah, I don't have I don't know how like what networks I know I had some people that said that some of the networks offer therapists and I'm like that's dope. That's cool if they're offering therapy for you. So I think that's so dope. And offering is like, good, but I almost think they should require it, you know, because yeah. Not everybody grows up going to therapists. I I did. So like to me, yeah. if you sprung that on me at age 37, I would be open to it. But a lot of people yeah. who don't or didn't. You might have them say, I don't need it, you know. I'll be you know, okay. So, okay. Yeah, so I would almost require that they go once, you know, yeah. just to see if they like it or whatever. And also have it be where, where that person again is someone who knows the deal. So they don't feel stupid. Cause like again, like you almost you, you almost kind of feel stupid explaining some of this stuff. Like, you know, so on day four, we went to the challenge. And if the person has to go, wait, wait what do you mean challenge? What 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 type of stuff do you do there? Like eh, like that would almost make people uh, you know, I don't need to come back here if I'm gonna have to explain to you what challenges we're doing. So I almost yeah. think it should be somebody on the payroll who kind of knows all that stuff. So you can just get down to the needy-greedy of you know, speaking to the person about their mental health, because you waste so much time with this expositional kind of explaining what a reality show is, explaining yeah. what a podcast is, explaining <laughs> what a comment thread is. That is true, Dan, that is true. Um, my um, next question for you, uh, what are some good coping skills you can uh, recommend to someone that's struggling with their mental health? Ooh, I wish I had better advice for this because uh, I don't know that I'm the best at it for sure. Because, um, you know, I, I clearly, I think, uh, you know, as a, uh, as my wife can attest, I think it's, it's, it can be kind of obvious when, when something's upsetting me or when I'm stressed yeah. and things like that. And so uh, my coping skills, I wouldn't even call them skills. I think they're just kind of just, uh, you know, uh, coping uh, mechanisms, I guess, yeah. um, you know, are, are not things I would almost recommend people do. But, you know, I try, I, I will say something again, and this is not something I'd recommend, but I do sometimes try to compartmentalize and I, I try not to, to worry too much about things outside of my own control. Um, but that's easier said than done. Like there's really, yeah. no, there's really no, uh, there's no way to just shut off that part of your brain. So again, I don't think I'm the pro Hey, you find out, you tell me what the, what the way to go is because well, I, uh, I'm not great at it. Well, I don't think there's no perfect coping skills, you know, like I can, any, it could be anything, you know, like taking a walk, you know, exercising, you know, working yeah. out as a coping skill, reading a book, you know, a journal, um, yeah. write and not just journal write and if you write music you know a podcast start a podcast you know like you got a podcast that could be something a coping skill for you you know you could be going through the worst shitty day of your life and you soon as you get in your podcast which I've been I've been going through some shitty days like depressed suicidal like oh um, like real bad but soon I do these podcast episodes I turn it off you know soon that's not a good coping skill but you know I turn it off and stuff like that it makes me feel good to do it like when Nami I um, do support groups and stuff like that. I facilitate support groups for people that, you know, struggle with mental health challenges and I turn it off. I know how to get in there and doing stuff like that, you know, um, take um, self-care, you know, spa, you know, feet done, nails done, um, girls, get your hair done, guys, get a haircut, you know, um, guys, bike, kite, you know, so many different coping skills people can use and everything. 
But yeah. fitness is, I guess fitness is like a top one because it helps you like really get out your head. Yeah, exactly. You know, fitness can be good, obviously, for endorphins and things like that. Yeah. Anything to kind of take your mind off what you're going through. I think I think anything that gets your phone out of your hand is probably pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, going to the movies where they'll, they'll yell at you if you take out your phone. So, you know, I think going to the movies for a couple hours is good, as you mentioned, reading a book or something like that. Yeah. You know, for me, you know, I uh, and, and it's a lot easier to do these things if you're, you know, solo dolo or, you know, living living at home or you don't have kids or things like that. For me, it's, you know, you know, sometimes you don't, I don't have the, the ability to do that, but you're right. All those things are great ways to kind of rewrite your uh, the way you're feeling at the time, because it's better to do something like that and take a load off than than have it bleed into the next thing you're doing or the next person you're interacting yeah. with and things like that, which I will often do, you know, sometimes. And, you know, that goes back to, you know, sometimes not handling it the best way is, you know, sometimes something will be eating away at you or, or, or kind of weighing on your mental health. And then you kind of ride it into whatever the next thing you're doing or the next conversation yeah. you're having and things like that. And then it, then you're making it worse because then that thing will probably become an issue later as well. So um, the more you can disconnect, like in the ways you're saying, I think is, is yeah. for sure. I would recommend just as much as you are for sure. Um, my next question, then we're going to end this soon. Um, if I'm gonna say, what do you tell someone, right? I'm gonna say, I'm feeling like this. What if your kids came up to you one day and said, Dad, like, why is it important to put my mental health first? What would you say to them? Man, uh, what would I say to them if they said, why is it important to put my mental health first? Well, um, I would say, you know, if, hmm, I mean, the obvious answer is, you know, the, the, if the way you're feeling right now is, is, is a way you don't want to feel, obviously that should be your priority above all else. But uh, like a selfless way to look at it is, you know, if your mental health is likely going to affect the way that you're treating others, the way that you're handling other things, the way that you're maybe avoiding other things, things like that. And if you care about other people, then putting your mental health first will in turn better their life and experience and their interactions with you. So you don't want to show up to a party and, you know, be somebody who's not being very talkative and really, you know, not asking people great questions. You're not a great guest and this and that. And it's like, Hey, you know what? you didn't work your stuff out, you went and then boom. So that's like the selfless way to look at it. The selfish and in in, in not a bad way way to look at it is that you're number one, like you're all you have, like when it comes down to it, you know, it, the, everybody else, no matter whether they're your, your, your best friend, your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad, they're, they can leave a room, they can leave a state, they can leave this earth. Yeah. You're going to be left to your own devices and, and have yourself. So um, it's one of those things where it's kind of, it's the, it's the vehicle and the house that we were that we were born into and the the only thing you have right it's like the only brain you're ever going to have it's the only heart you're ever going to have so you got to you know treat it the way you would treat a, a car or anything that you would try to take good care of and things like that yeah. so i think sometimes we forget about that because we kind of put it to the side you're like hey i need more time to do this more time to do that i need to put more money into this more money into that so you kind of forget yeah. about the fact that hey you know i've been running on the same you know, brake pads for 20 years, or I've been, you know, yep. running on empty for a long time. I just put a little bit of gas in, a little bit of gas in, a little bit of gas in, you know, I haven't got my oil changed in six years, things like that. And that's like, you know, that's a metaphor, but like the same way for, for your, for your mental health, you might do the same thing. You might just kind of compartmentalize everything and just kind of, you know, march along. So yeah. that's what I would say to my three-year-old kid and my six-month-old kid who would say, dad, I don't, I didn't understand <laughs> one thing you just said. Um, but yeah. I do think the kids, I will, I will say, I think the kids of my child's 
generation will be much more like, like even the way, I mean, half of the books we have are like indirectly about mental health. Um, You know, there's dozens of Instagram accounts and podcasts. Like my wife is constantly like sending me like advice from these like Instagram women who like have all these like perfect ways of handling every single way. Like, you know, if a kid doesn't want their cereal, this is the way you should do it. You know, this is what you should say and don't say this. And, you know, um, and so I feel like this generation is going to be much more in tune with the, I mean, it's not going to solve all problems that are not yeah. all, not, none of them are going to struggle, but I feel like they're going to have an easier, they're going to have like such a more like sort of natural language with it and to it than we do. And and we did, you know what I mean? Like they're going to have it all kind of instilled in them. You know, my, my kid is three and a half and he will say things like, I need my space or you're hurting my feelings yeah. and things like that, where like it's almost funny because it seems like so like next level or whatever, but it's like, again, like yeah. these are the things like my wife is kind of instilling in him based on these yeah. Instagram accounts and whatnot. And this kind of over course correction, not in a bad way from generations of the opposite of kind of keeping everything yeah. quiet, or you would never, you know, say this to your dad or about your dad or whatever. And I think our kids are going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have every word already like, you know, um, the, the, the topic of mental health and the idea of checking in on themselves and whatnot is, is being, inst- not in all kids, I will say, obviously like not every kid is, is, you know, has the same upbringing and things like yeah. that. Um, but I will say it's going to be a lot more common in this next wave of kids for sure. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's good. Um, one, you know, one quick question was growing up, like, you know, was it okay not to be okay for you or. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, as far as like, it was never instilled in me that it wasn't, you know, you kind of just assume, like, I'll be honest, like, not, not like my, my parents would have been fine with it. I do think like kids, like, you know, like kids and your peers and things like that, like you're, you you do feel like you have to be putting on like a mean mug and a tough face for like your your bros or your dudes or people you're hanging out with and things like that. And, um, and I do think that, you know, it, it's a fine line. Like my mom is a, is a professor and this isn't huh. necessarily mental health related, but she will often explain to me things that, that happen or complaints that come in from the students or things that yeah. they're very outspoken about that occasionally she'll say one. And I'm like the nerve on some of these kids. I'm like, cause when I was growing up, there was like a clear line between like, you know, teacher and student. Yeah. And like with few exceptions, like if the teacher said it, it was the case and whatever. And nowadays I feel like, again, not even to go down to my kids' generation, but even the the people who are in college right now and teenagers and stuff, they have no problem letting a teacher know that, hey, you know, the fact that you asked me to read in front of the class uh, was very embarrassing and it hurt my, you know, it hurt my mental health. And I don't find that that was appropriate, uh, Mrs. Stevenson. And it's like, when I was a kid, it was like, well, Mrs. Stevenson just picked three kids to read every day. And if it was you, you read read and maybe you didn't read (laughs) so good and you moved on and then you learned, maybe I should read more at home. And, and now it's, you know, the other way, the kids have no problem standing up and saying when they feel like, you know, something is, you know, kind of hard on them mentally, which I feel like as kids for good and for bad, we sort of used when, you know, mental health struggles as ways to tell ourselves, you know, oh, maybe I should probably put some more time into the homework or you know, maybe I shouldn't talk in class so much because when I do, I get called out and it's very embarrassing to me. And I feel weird being around my friends later because they call me out. And so I would say as a kid, I did definitely feel less, you know, empowered to say when something was affecting my mental health, as far as like, 
you know, in the day to day. Um, yeah. And I do think nowadays they are much more open and honest with it. Um, not to a fault, but I will say maybe uh, to the point where this next generation is going to be really in tune with their mental health, yeah. but also might be a little bit devoid of some of the lessons that you learn in life earlier on based on embarrassment, based yeah. on mental health struggles that kind of force you to correct certain things or to evolve as a person or mature as an adult and things like that. So um, in no way was I kind of, you know, shunt that you, you can't do this, you can't do that. But it definitely yeah. wasn't something that I knew at all times, I could let everyone know that, you know, this is really affecting my mental health and I, you know, what, whatever. And I don't even know the instances in which I necessarily would have, but um, it definitely wasn't as obvious to me as I think it is now, which is a good thing. I mean, it, ultimately, it's a good thing for sure. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, thank you. Um, I like to end this off. Actually, like I know, I know Scott is a busy man, guys, and I need to you to promote everything that's going on. Challenge Mania, where they can watch the podcast, listen to the podcast, and everything. All the events that you got coming up. This man is booked. Yeah, well, booked I'll tell you. Course. I try to say, if you like the challenge, hopefully you like our podcast. If you don't watch the challenge, you do not need to listen to our podcast. But if you are a fan of that show, uh, if you go to challengemaniapodcast.com or if you search Challenge Mania anywhere you get your podcast, uh, yeah. we do one free podcast a week. We also do one or two bonus podcasts a week over at patreon.com slash challengemania. Um, as you mentioned, we do live shows and parties and uh, yeah. things like that. We're going to be in Vegas on December the 3rd. Uh, we're going to be in Miami on December the 17th, New York on January the 4th, and then Philadelphia on February the 20th, which I know you are very excited about, uh, as are we. So, yeah, so, you know, we just try to, you know, hit the ground running, keep coming out there, shaking hands, kissing babies, talking the challenge, enjoying the watching the episodes with some of you guys talking about the episodes, um, getting to meet meet you guys and, and uh, hear from you and things like that. So I have a lot of fun with it. So, you know, it is a job, but it's also a lot of fun as well. So I'll see you guys in those cities you know vegas miami new york and philly and we'll be announcing more and you can find out all the places we're going if you go to challengemania.live there's like a ticket link to most of the places philly is not on sale yet but it will be uh, later this week yes i'm so excited about philly but um, i want to say thank you for being a guest talking mental health i know it's not easy well today's world is easy to talk more about it but i know a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about it and you know as a man thank you for coming on and just talking mental health you know yeah, thank you for having me. And I, I think it's great what you're doing. And I think it's great you taking, you know, something that you struggled with and obviously start as a negative, turning it into a positive, yeah. not just for you. And you, like you mentioned, it's something that you you do to kind of, uh, you know, channel some of your, you know, positivity yeah. and positive energy and things like that. But then also putting something out to the world that I assure you someday, if it hasn't yet, it will help somebody along the way. So to be able to say that you did that, I think is something you should be very proud of. So thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, Scott. Thank you.